Welcome back to Elevate the Podcast, where we have candid conversations about life, agriculture, and rural entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Natalie Kaborik. So this change would set Mexico on a track to almost half its U.S. imports of yellow corn. And I'm Tara Vanderdusen. Public perception of why these things are being banned, not because of like a science-based thing. Welcome back to Discover Ag, where every day we discover something new. We have a great lineup today, you guys. We're covering how Mexico moves closer to GMO corn ban, which is a pretty crazy and kind of, I don't know, slightly controversial ban that Mexico is looking to implement in 2024. We've got a discussion around COP27, everything you need to know about UN climate change. And if, I mean, that conference is actually literally right around the corner. So if you guys haven't heard of it or have no idea kind of what COP27 is. No sweat because we're breaking it down today for you guys. Um, We also have a kind of a fun story about Utah offering some cash up for replacing lush lawns with desert tolerant landscapes because I don't know, I feel like we always have to have a fun, we have some meaty heavy topics and we always like to have a fun light one too. At the end of the episode, we're also going to have a really neat ag fact about carrots. It literally blew my mind. You guys, I'm not exaggerating. I was watching a YouTube video on this fact. It was so interesting about carrots. So before we get on to all of that, um, we have a huge milk is the moment in the news this week. Tara, do you kind of want to walk us through the gonna need milk campaign that's going on? Yeah, I'm so glad that milk is having its moment. I feel like it's always meat for us. And so I'm excited about this one. But before we dive in, I actually want to remind everyone that we are currently applications. uh, We're currently accepting applications for our Elevate the Summit. You can apply online at elevateyouragstory.com forward slash summit. And our summit is a two-month small group mastermind for agriculture, Western, and rural entrepreneurs who are really ready to accelerate their impact, um, streamline their income, and elevate themselves and their businesses to the next level. We will only be accepting eight women into this program. And this program will have two group coaching calls, two one-on-one calls, and an in-person summit in uh, just outside of Fort Worth, Texas at a beautiful venue. Uh, And this will be taking place in January, January 30th through February 1st. So if you are interested in applying for that, go check out our website. So let's jump right into this. Milk is the moment because I've been really excited about this one because there's kind of a lot going on. So it's the Gonna Need Milk campaign. And Gonna Need Milk campaign is doing some really cool things. So there's like, I feel like three different parts to this story. The first one is, is going to need milk sponsored any woman who wanted to run in the New York city marathon. Like if you were a woman and you were running, they would sponsor you. They did a massive billboard, I think in times square, like Mm -hmm. promoting it. Um, and then in addition to that, kind of like paired with it, they've had multiple celebrities do a gonna need milk, like Instagram campaign for this. So you sent me one, I think that was, um, who was yours that you sent? I sent Sarah. you Sarah and Aaron Foster. So they're, they they have been on TV for a really long time. Like back when like E! News, Chelsea Handler, like that kind of time with Sarah and Aaron Foster. So they had some reality shows. They own a clothing line. I would say they are, I don't know, stereotypical like LA women. So to see them support milk, I could I could not. It was sending me. It, I mean, it was a paid campaign, so we should probably like note that they were like getting paid, but still, they were like usually gonna need yes. milk from what that's what. And gonna need milk, I know, tries to pick people who do like are that really like milk. They did, um, 
Oh my gosh. Oh, Mario Lopez. A few years back, they did a campaign with him and it was so cute. It was with his family, but he's like truly is a huge milk drinker. So, uh, I love to see it. They also did one with Kelly Ripa. Uh, Mm Um, hers though, I guess like the negative side of this story that I wanted to touch on was that Kelly Ripa had to turn off. Why do you want to bring up a negative? Because I have to. Kelly Ripa had to turn off her comment section because of the vegan activists that were leaving terrible comments on her page. And it made me so angry. I just, I was furious. You know, this is what I was thinking about this morning on our, like thinking about we're going to record this podcast. I was thinking, you know, I don't really like some foods, some different things. Like there's some things that like I don't support because of however it's like grown or raised or whatever. And I don't go and like attack people on the internet about it. Like I'm like, where are the haters on like Hershey bar commercials? Because a lot of chocolate production is actually like uses child labor. Where is like the hate on like Zales diamonds commercials for like blood diamonds? Or do you know what I mean? Like I don't understand why on milk and meat things, it's literally gets so bad that a celebrity has to turn off the comment section. Like why aren't we getting irate about other things that actually matter? I don't, do you know what I mean? Like I'm just like, seriously? Totally. Totally. I so frustrated. I actually went through, uh, I didn't see how many total comments are on Kelly's, but Sarah and Aaron's reel, which I thought was hilarious anyway. They're so funny. It was funny. Um, they, I had about 200 comments and there, I don't know. I mean, I guess I didn't like totally tally, but it almost felt 50, 50. There were definitely people in support. I I commented to other people who left. I mean, I was all over that comment section. I was like, <laughs> I was too. I was like, like, uh, like, uh-huh. um, and they, I'm interested. Cause did Kelly respond to people on hers? Did you notice? So I couldn't see like any, it was where they just like shut it down. Oh, because the sisters actually report replied back to a lot of people and they were like they were not backing down they were like this is our stance this is why I thought it was I don't know kind of kudos to them I also thought it was interesting because someone pulled up like a direct quote which was going back to that I was shocked that these sisters even because they were for sure probably at one point like on the almond milk bandwagon on the cashew milk bandwagon like talking about that and someone did pull up and say like in a news clip seven years ago you said how you try to avoid dairy and then someone else commented below like oh wow sorry that someone has evolved and changed in seven years and now has a different perspective and the sisters were kind of saying the same thing too like I've gone through a journey like I've changed like now like dairy is very it's beneficial for me I like I don't know I was just really nice to see them in their comment section instead of like stepping away like kind of hands off from it yeah, I agree. And um, I've worked with Gonna Need Milk before, and I will say they do a really good job of preparing you for, like, negative comments and just kind of, like, helping you, making sure you know what your stance is going to be. Um, I will say when you said cashew milk, I got really triggered because cashew milk no. is, like, has a terrible – like, it, like, um, deforms the people that pick the cashew nuts or whatever because uh, it releases an acid. I telling you to make a reel on this. I need to, because, especially after this, because I was like, you are hating someone for drinking that. milk. They don't know that. They don't know how bad cashew milk is. They don't. I didn't know how bad chocolate, the chocolate Listen, industry was until Sustainable Dish. You need to breathe the world, Tara. This is the news people need. I the information. Deliver it. post reels <laughs> regularly. So <laughs> – I don't want to end on a bad note. I think overall it was like really incredible campaign. I'm so proud of milk for like. Oh, it was so positive. I tell you this all the time. I'm like, where is beef? Where is beef? 
milk has I'm wondering the same they thing. went to if we went to that you guys the we'll share it on our discover ag page but the handle is gonna need milk so if you type that in it's the whole campaign they had leading up to the new york marathon their instagram is so cool like you said they had they were taking walls like they were doing wall art that they were like videoing and sharing they had the huge billboards in nyc um they had dietitians giving advice like stories it was amazing and then if you actually watched their stories of the marathon it was like on so good. point they they had a uh, recovery room that was a DJ there. They had tables to stretch out like masseuses. They had a huge wall to take photos in front of that said something about milk. They had a selfie mirror with something about milk. I mean, it was fantastic. That socks. I wanted these socks. They were so cute. And it's just, I'll like, see if I can find some milk, milk people. I, <laughs> I, I mean, we were on the call. The I might know a someone, guy. Someone said the splashiest thing beef's ever done is worked with Tony Romo. And I was like, it is the splashiest thing we've ever done. And literally milks over there, like tagging walls. Like it was such a cool campaign. I like two thumbs up going to need milk. I was very impressed. I thought it was so fun. So going to need milk is the same people who created got milk. Um, well, I wondered, I was like going to ask you rebrand. what that, yeah, uh-huh, what it's that sponsored was. through milk pep. So a lot of commodities, beef is the same. Milk is the same. All commodities are the same. It's called checkoff. We pay a certain amount of our yeah. money into a checkoff and they promote milk for us dairy this is actually the processor so it's milk pep so milk pep is what's behind and so the processors the people who are actually bottling milk paid for these campaigns Um, and it's not to promote any one brand it's literally just overall brand awareness about milk Uh, but I love their rebrand they work with a ton of huge TikTok influencers to really create like super cool content so yeah I'm I'm very very impressed you're here for it Mm mm-hmm Okay. All right. Moving into top three industry news pieces that everyone needs to know this week in the world of ag and food. First up, we have Mexico moves closer to GMO corn ban. So Mexico's deputy agriculture minister, Victor Suarez, recently confirmed that Mexico would not amend its ban on genetically modified corn that is set to take effect in 2024. So this was actually a 2020 decree by Mexico's president that aims to phase out GMO corn and the herbicide glyphosate, um, obviously by the year 2024. So Mexico is one of the world's largest buyers of corn. They currently import about 17 million tons of U.S. grain. Um, um, Very interesting. Very, I don't know, kind of alarming. There was a huge quote I really liked from our like ambassador. I think their last name is Ty. Is that how you would say that? They were encouraging um, Mexico to return to, quote unquote, science and risk-based regulatory approval process. And I was glad to hear that because I think a lot of people hear like, oh, the EU or Mexico, all these people are banning GMOs. They must be bad for you. And it's like, it's actually not. Even the UAE or EU will say like, it's not based in science that it's a public perception of why these things are being banned, not because of like a science-based thing. And so I was, I don't know. I was just glad to hear our ambassador kind of like stand up for the science. So there was two parts. The, I read that one of the reasons why they are looking to make this initiative was some of the research showing that, you know, what you just highlighted, the adverse effects of glyphosate, but they're also saying that GM seeds can contaminate Mexico's age old native varieties, which I thought was really interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the concerning things for me about it is obviously it's going to have an impact on U.S. farmers, but they're also expecting it to bring much higher prices to Mexico consumers. 
um, and during a massive global food inflation period, I feel like that's kind of scary. I don't know. I don't know if there's a better, there's probably a better word for it, but like prices could go a lot higher for them. So an interesting thing I thought was this idea of nationalism. So as part of this initiative, um, president, the president is aiming to make Mexico self-sufficient, everything from energy to food. Um, they're obviously they do a lot of importation, but they have shown that some of their production has increased, uh, you know, within the, the, their own territory. And so I think it's, I was actually asking Luke, I was like, do you think this idea of nationalism is like something that leaders are going to lean into, which is also something like Syngenta stepped in to say, they encouraged the white house to step. They, I guess they put out a release statement that encouraged the white house to step in because they were saying that this ban will likely not end with corn. And so I'm just wondering, like moving out 10, 15, 20 years, is this something where we'll see more of a people trying to be more self-sufficient? Well, that was, I instantly went obviously to milk and cheese. Uh, We, Mexico is our largest, like imports the most of our dairy products. Like they're our largest exporter. Is that how you would say that? And um, being in a new, I live in New Mexico, we obviously are a big part of that. We export a lot of our cheese, our American cheeses to Mexico. And I'm just like, at what point even will it go to like, well, your cows were fed GMO corn, so we won't take milk from cows fed with GMO corn. And I think right now we're at 15% of all dairy in the United States is exported. We're, we're working up to 20%. And so we're not talking about like a small, like that's a big share of the market. And obviously it's exported to other places beyond Mexico, but like there's going to be a ripple effect. Like I agree with Luke, it's not going to end with corn. No, no. It says uh, Mexico actually currently accounts for 20 to 25% of U.S. corn exports each year. So if they do move towards this, which like he's saying, he put out his statement. He says that he's like moving towards this. It'll, I mean, like you said earlier that, I mean, it could cause billions of dollars of economic damage to a lot of countries. Another thing that I'll close with saying I found interesting is there was an international chamber, I guess, that represents like growers in Argentina, Brazil, and the U.S. that's responsible for a very large portion of global corn experts. They said they will not change their corn production methods to this non-GM to accommodate Mexico. So I think there are some skepticism from a lot, like basically everyone but Mexico that like you're not going to be able to do this. Yeah. Okay. So moving into COP27, I think I'll start with what it stands for. I actually didn't know this is what it stood for. I mean, I know what it is. Um, Conference of the Parties. And um, so what's going on is tens of thousands of people from around the globe will go to Egypt. They're actually there. It started November 6th. So we're currently like in the middle of COP27. And it's the annual uh, United Nations Climate Change Summit. And um, this has been going on since 1995 that world leaders and their delegates convene annually to discuss like critical issues around global warming, carbon emissions, and how to uh, tackle climate change. So again, this one's in Egypt. So obviously uh, last year, where was last year's? Was last year in Scotland? Glasgow. Yes. I think. Mm -hmm. It was. Yeah. So it's in a different place every single time. And it's just like I don't know. There's a lot happening at these. There's obviously environmental groups, scientists, business leaders, celebrities, journalists. There's protesters. Um, you, it feels very overwhelming to me. It's a lot. <laughs> me too. And it's a lot of days for you to, I don't know, be there um, talking about this. But 
obviously there's going to be, being that it's in Egypt, there's going to be a lot of focus on African countries, which are some of the most vulnerable to climate change. And then even though they're some of the lowest admitters, um, there's also going to be big talks about human rights and like what's going on in different African countries around human rights. So it's about climate, but I feel like COP is about so much more than that. There's a huge push this year on the finance portion of it too. Which has been a theme. I mean, we've mm-hmm. talked about that with our Honor the Harvest episode that this is, you know, we have to have financial investment to do some of those things. And that episode, if you are if you want to listen more on the Honor the Harvest, that was episode 36 um, where we really dive into Honor the Harvest talking about how we need financial investment in climate smart technologies. So... We got to talk with Donald um, from the Global Dairy Platform, who is going to be in Egypt the entire week. And uh, it was interesting to hear, like, the initiatives of what Animal Ag is doing to be well represented at COP27. Yeah, I am excited. You and I are going to try and take along in stories, um, share a little bit about it. I think the 12th, which would be Saturday, is going to be a huge day kind of for I don't know, I guess just like an important day for the agriculture portion. So we're going to try and attend some stuff and like bring more of it to you guys um, through the actual conversation that's going on there, the actual present presentations, just what's actually happening. Yep. So tune along in stories and you can actually join and maybe we'll try to link this in stories. There are portions of it you can join virtually that um, could be interesting and have good discussions to just stay up on what's going on. Okay, moving into our third and final news piece, Utah to offer, I like this one a lot, Utah to offer cash for replacing lush lawns with desert tolerant landscapes. So the state is taking applications. They just recently started this for a program to pay up to a dollar a square foot of turf to replace water guzzling grass with drought resistant landscaping. So Michael Sanchez, who is the public information officer with the state of division of water resources, said cultivating a lush green lawn in Utah's Bondi crime Bone dry climate is a major water waster. It's about matching our landscapes to where we actually live. So this was a $5 million expenditure and participants will have a year to complete their landscaping project, which includes things like removing old turf and replacing with drought resistant vegetation approved for their part of the state. I, you guys can come at me. I feel like someone's probably going to come at me. I love to see it. I hate lawns. I like don't understand the point of lawns at all. I'm here for it too. I'd be interested to see whose argument is like, this is a terrible, who thinks this is a terrible idea? When, no, I did a reels, gosh, it's been like when reels first came out, I did a reel about the largest irrigated crop in the United States and how it's grass. And I had people being like, they came at me and we're like, we love our lawns. And I was like, that's cool, but they use a ton of water and everyone yells at farmers for using too much water, but nobody talks about watering turf. So some fun facts. Um, grass takes up 2% of the land in the continental U S and it is the biggest irrigated crop in the United States. So this Sanchez in the article was quoted saying that a quarter acre lot, the amount of water used on that is about 3000 gallons with each watering. So just moving to something less water intensive could be something that could save a lot of water. I don't quite like the end of his statement that it could save a lot of water. I feel like he started out really strong with the 3000 gallons and then moved to something very vague. That's like, and then we'll save a lot. Um, but I do yeah, like, it, how it much are sense. you, what's your goal here yeah. to yeah. say? Like I would have loved a gold number. 
Uh, I think it's interesting. Neighboring states have already done some of this. So like Scottsdale and Las Vegas have swapped out a ton of area for water efficient landscapes and have saved a lot of water. I think it's a great movement. I'm here for it. I was about to say that I lived in Arizona, obviously when I went to school and there was big pushes to be like desert scaping. Desert scaping. I like it. It'll be interesting to see if any other states adopt it. Like you said, like, okay, Scottsdale, Vegas, those kind of make sense. Um, Colorado, New Mexico. I'm curious to see who else jumps on the bandwagon. I mean, I'm already on the bandwagon. I don't have underwater sprinklers in our lawn, and I rarely get out there with a movable (laughs) sprinkler. (laughs) It's just not high on my list, so I feel like I'm doing my part to contribute. So the house that we live on, we, like, obviously didn't build it. We just, you know inherited it on the dairy farm has a massive yard and um it it does bother me and so one of the things Daniel and I have done is we kind of decided like okay this part is like our yard and then the rest we planted to like natural grasses Mm -hmm. and it's like okay we have a little bit of green grass but then the rest we let go because it just we could not keep up watering it it did not make sense and our sprinkler system is hooked up to the same system as like where our cows get their water and it's like it's a little bit more important for our cows to get water than our grass to get water so we cut it back okay so you have a fun ag frag for us now I'm so excited to share this <laughs> okay so dear, settle in everyone because I I hope no one else has actually known this because it's going to be really embarrassing if everyone's like uh common knowledge Natalie <laughs> because I'm nervous I, just, I, I don't know what it is and now I'm I, really nervous about it <laughs> Okay, so you know how plants are – I mean, they are built to have defense mechanisms, right? We talk about this a lot. Actually, I feel like I've been hearing a lot of narrative around how some plants can be unhealthy for us to eat because of these defense mechanisms they have built Same. into them. Yes. Yeah. So when the weather gets cold, plants develop adaptations to deal with um, things to, like, bite off the frost. So carrots, for instance – to combat the cold, have developed a physiological response of increasing sugar content. So the increased sugar content helps defend against that ice crystal formation, um, which plants don't want because it can like lead to cell dehydration or make the cells rupture. But because they increase the sugar content, carrots during the winter are going to be sweeter than if you harvested them in the summer. Fun fact. Did you know that? Fascinating. No, I did not know that. <laughs> but that's funny because I actually saw a reel today and it was like uh, an anti-diet culture page. And it was like, if anyone has ever told you not to eat a carrot because of the sugar content, like just you don't need that kind of people in your life. <clears throat> okay. I and have I no be like, one in my life that said that. I know. I kind of was like, who is saying that? That was my yeah. first reaction. But now I, I want to go comment and be like, well, eat summer carrots instead of winter <laughs> carrots. <laughs> just like troll a carrot page. <laughs> It is interesting because when we plant the, in my garden, the carrots are the one thing we don't fully harvest all at once. We actually like let them go and just use them because they, I don't know, they keep in our zone area, I guess, or maybe they keep everywhere. I'm not really sure. I'm not a great gardener, but I do think they taste so good. Like as we continue to harvest them, I'm always impressed at how well they taste. And I think it's probably because of the sugar content. So they're that I mean, that's why. is actually really interesting because we have certain foods in our garden that taste better at different times of the year. And now I'm like, I wonder what if – and I always assume maybe it was like too much nutrients at the beginning, too little at the end. You know, like I kind of associate it to soil health. But soil temperature would be equally – and air temperature would be equally as interesting to study. Yeah, or maybe it's the plant itself. Like maybe this isn't user air. Maybe the plant did something physiologically, you know, to 
Yeah, Jane. we're going to keep telling ourselves that because both of us are not great gardeners. So. <laughs> um, anyway, I, was about I watched a whole YouTube video on it. I have a fun fact about carrots, though, and dairy farming is that this my dad told me this that in California, they used to feed like the little carrots that were like not great shaped. It didn't meet like perfect requirements to the cows. And then the carrot people realized if they chopped them up and peeled them and sold them as mini carrots, they had a new market. And so then my dad lost like a big feed source for his cattle when the carrot people made baby carrots. Wait, so mini carrots so. were invented in the 80s? Mm hmm. Yeah. Before that, you had to get big carrots and you had to peel them and then chop them up. Natalie's googling it to make sure I'm not wrong. I am right now. <laughs> Listen, we I also any... though I'm kind of we surprised are, you are. We work hard to make this a factual based <laughs> podcast. I can't have you <laughs> messing with our. <laughs> um, with I our, also uh, score here. I'm kind of surprised you didn't know that as a pharmacist, like aren't a lot of our medications from adaptations of like plants, like their response to the environment. No, I did know that. That's why I'm saying oh, okay. like I, I, for a long time, like, yes, 100%. I guess you I knew just, that. Yes. Uh, yes. I knew that. I have been hearing more about how it could be potentially harmful for us to consume some of those because of the, the, yes. the mechanisms they have built in. Yeah. So carrots hit supermarkets for the first time in 1989. There you go. Told you I wasn't wrong. Isn't that funny, though, like the downward stream effects that like then dairy farmers didn't have a feed source, like they lost that feed source for their cattle. Like you don't think about like every single repercussion throughout agriculture of like what it has. So fascinating. Natalie's Mm. still Googling away. She's like trying to prove me wrong. No, I'm very into this carrot. I'm going to. My next dinner conversation where there's carrots, you guys at Thanksgiving, if there is carrots served, you have so much good information yes to bring to the dining table dialogue now Hmm. all right that's it on carrots yeah that's it for our episode oh wow that went fast so quick do you want to talk a little bit about what we have Um, going on next week yes i I do might want to follow along in stories with that too Yeah, so next week we will be in Phoenix, uh, Arizona. Actually, we'll be out just outside of Phoenix, like I think Gilbert. Is that where we're going? Gilbert, Arizona for the Sustainable Ag Summit. Tuesday, I will be there for the Sustainable Dairy Alliance meeting. And then Wednesday and Thursday, Natalie and I will be together for the Sustainable Ag Summit. We are going to be bringing you so much great content. We're actually going to record an episode of the podcast at the event. um, And that will be released the week after, so the Tuesday of Thanksgiving. Um, so stay tuned for that and then yeah follow along in stories though because we're gonna be highlighting we're both moderating a panel we each have our own panels we're moderating and we're gonna be interviewing people getting great snippets of information this is one of my favorite conferences we went to it last year too and it's packed with like tons of experts it's cool to bring all of ag together I feel like a lot of conferences are like oh it's a beef conference it's a dairy conference this one is anyone in ag it's also one of those ones where it brings together the entire food supply chain. So you'll have, you know, like your McDonald's people there. You'll have farmers there. You'll have, you know, just tons of different like Kroger's will be there. And it's always just interesting to hear what different conversations come up and how it's all like how it all comes together throughout the food supply chain. So, yeah, I was just actually scrolling through the schedule right now. They have some great um great conversation they're beginning. Here's one sustainable verse regenerative, which one or both, how are sustainable ag and regenerative ag different or same, which I feel like, why are we not having more conversation around the like looseness of, you know, I mean, everyone's, it's like, 
we are trying to build a future around something that isn't even defined, I feel like, and it's defined so differently from people. It's like nice to see some conversation around that. And then the keynote speaker will be um, USDA Undersecretary Robert Bonney. So I'm excited for that. I actually interviewed him on the Fieldwork podcast, so I'm interested to hear more of what he has to say. I just found the panel you're moderating. Oh, I know. I met with them last week. It was, oh, it's going to be a good one. Yep. Mm-hmm. We I haven't pre- gotten any information about mine. <laughs> You're the moderator. I so. know. It, it makes me very concerned right now, actually. I'm like starting my heart rate. I can feel it going up <laughs> oh, a little no, bit. How I'm have so I, sorry. How have I not gotten any information? And you I met last met week. with your people. I met last week and we went over what we were supposed to talk about. And you didn't think you would tell me this? I honestly just assumed you had one too. Well, I do. I just don't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my lord! Oh so, my god! All right, tune, but follow along. Really, follow along on stories. We'll we'll bring as much content as we can to you guys. I I I just I guess I'll say it. I love that we do this because I know there are so many conferences that I have always wanted to attend and wondered what was going on there and haven't been able to. And so, if you have the same feelings where you're like, "Oh, that sounds really cool," the Sustainable Ag Summit, I would love to go, but can't tune in because we're trying to bring all of that really good information, all of those good conversations to you guys. So you guys can feel like you're a part of them. You guys can know what's going on. You can bring that back to your community and share with them. Um, just really check out the agenda. And if there's something in particular, you are like, please go to this. Let me know what you think. Like DM us at the discover ag page and we will like add it to our list of like high priorities. Obviously we're going to be attending as much as we possibly can, but we'd love to hear from you guys about what you want to see. So check out Sustainable Ag Summit and let us know.